We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Nationwide, Republicans held on to control of the U.S. Senate with the possible pickup of an additional seat, but they lost control of the House to the Democrats by a strong measure, despite President Trump declaring it a great night. Well, here in Illinois, it was not a great night for Republicans. In addition to losing two key House seats in the uh, suburbs, the Democrats' veto-proof majority in the legislature is even stronger, and Republican Governor Bruce Rauner lost his re-election bid to Democratic billionaire J.B. Pritzker. Well, my guest this week argues that Rauner lost that election way before November 6th. She ought to know he almost lost to her in the primary. This week, it's a conversation with State Representative Jeannie Ives. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Jeannie Ives has represented the 42nd District, which encompasses several western suburban municipalities, including Wheaton. She is a West Point graduate and, of course, served in the U.S. Army. She was also on the Wheaton City Council. People who regularly cover state government have known Jeannie Ives as a strong voice for conservatives. You probably got to know her best as the outspoken Republican lawmaker who challenged incumbent Governor Bruce Rauner's re-election and finished a very close second. Uh, as the Illinois GOP looks for its direction forward, it seems like a pretty good idea to talk with the woman who drew so much support from voters statewide. Jeannie Ives, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Uh, well, we have to talk about this month's elections huh? and the immediate aftermath before we look at the future of the Republican Party here. First, about the governor. You did think his misstep started early, didn't you? Uh, well, certainly for me, as a fiscal conservative, I could see the direction of some of his spending um, programs, especially, um, you know, ramping up early ch- childhood education just to grab some federal grant money. I thought that was wrong. And the signs are pretty early on that he wasn't going to arrest spending the way that it should be. And But I still stayed with the governor through most of the time that he was working his program, working his turnaround agenda. I was 100 percent behind him, advising him, advising his staff. Uh, completely in his corner. And then it became pretty obvious that um, he was making decisions that were not in the best interest, I thought, of um, Illinoisans. Uh, were some of the uh, the wrong turns uh, correctable? Uh, was he was he told, hey, this is this is the wrong direction? And why wasn't the ship righted even when Team Rauner was trying to make turns? Sometimes different teams of Team Rauner were trying to make turns. I, I think that they just got in over their head to some degree and, and started to work more on the legislative front rather than really running their agencies in a better way. And again, I think he could have had a lot of wins if he had just concentrated on the spending side of government rather than trying to take on the powerful public sector unions, knowing that he had Madigan as a backstop on that. And while they needed to be taken on, and believe me, I was in on that agenda, it was going to be pretty obvious that it was becoming a grudge match between him and Mike Madigan. And he didn't adjust course in enough time to really focus on what he could get done 
rather than what he wanted to get done, given the lay of the land. Um, we have to talk about one of the flashpoint issues and one I think that uh, probably helped prompt you to get into the race, and that's the abortion issue. Sure. Uh, and HB 40, the uh, bill to expand state funding for abortions for the needy, uh, that seemed to be a major spin-out uh, in the eyes of a lot of uh, conservatives. Bruce Rauner ran as a pro-choice Republican. So uh, why did so many conservatives feel betrayed? Well, because he, first of all, he told us he was not going to have a social agenda and then ended up uh, really signing on to some of the most socially progressive legislation that we've ever had in the state of Illinois. And primarily, of course, taxpayer funding of abortion that had never been put into law by the hand of a governor, let alone a Republican governor in the state that Henry Hyde came from. And Henry Hyde is the one who got the federal government to agree that there will be, you may have abortion, there will be no taxpayer money spent for abortion. So for this guy, this is complete betrayal of not just Illinois Republicans, but Republicans nationwide uh, doing that to Henry Hyde's legacy. Um, And that issue seemed to split the Republican Party, too. And uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is, is, was that a sign of trouble for the state GOP going forward? I mean, is, is that kind of thing something that's going to have to be dealt with by Illinois Republicans? Are there issues that remain wedges within the party, and how do Republicans deal with and get past those? Some people would like to paint us that way, that, you know, if we can't get past our social conservative views, that we're never going to be united as a party. And I just just flatly disagree about that, especially in the state of Illinois. state of Illinois is 100% bankrupt. Its major city, Chicago, is bankrupt. Its smaller, lesser... lesser, uh, cities like Peoria and Rockford and Decatur and Danville, they're all having very difficult times meeting um, their needs and paying for these outrageous pensions. Chicago's got a huge ballooning pension payment. They have no way to pay for it. They are technically bankrupt. All they do is keep borrowing more on past promises and further indent- um, um, indebting uh, future taxpayers. It's shameful, and quite frankly, it's immoral. So these are policy choices that we need to coalesce around and fight against and draw a stark contrast with uh, in the Republican Party and what we need to do policy-wise compared to what the Democrats are doing. And I think those, more than anything, can unite Republicans statewide. It doesn't mean we give up our other socially conservative ideas. I think, uh, quite frankly, most people disagree with having uh, transgender students in the opposite sex locker rooms. And people don't like to talk about that, but uh, that's a policy issue that we have to deal with, um, I, I, quite frankly, and that the majority of Illinoisans, when you poll them, agree with that uh, same uh, policy stance. I, I want to ask you about DuPage County, your home oh, yes. county, because mm-hmm. uh, Democratic women, in fact, seven, uh, I believe, Democratic, well, one was reelected, right? But seven, six new uh, Democratic women were elected to the DuPage County Board. I believe all the Republicans on the board are men. That's going to be an interesting <laughs> dynamic. But uh, and a female Democrat won the county clerk's race. What is happening in the suburbs? I mean, DuPage is just one example. We well, we had a blue wave hit DuPage County like you've never seen before. And DuPage has been known as the bulwark of uh, Republicanism in the state of Illinois. And, you know, just somebody, a place that's very business friendly and well run. 
And there's a few things that are happening. One, there's been a demographic shift out of Chicago, out of some of Cook County, and into DuPage County for our open space, our better schools, our safe streets. Um, We've seen that demographic shift just down the street from me, my my own home, four four houses down. Uh, A couple moved in a a couple years ago. They fly the Chicago flag, the city of Chicago flag. Like, hello, welcome to Wheaton. But (laughs) so, you know, there's totally been a demographic shift into DuPage County because we do we do government right. And that's just the truth. Um, And so they've brought their politics with them. There's no doubt about that. But additionally, you had uh, the Democrat uh, committees at the national level come in and try and beat uh, Peter Roskam. And they were very successful. And that trickled down to all those down ballot races where they just voted Democrat lockstop. We not only lost uh, six county board seats to Democrats, where we only used to have one on the county board, and that clerk office was very important for us to have because that clerk's office is taking over the elections now as well. So that was a huge loss for Republicans. But now we've also lost other uh, state rep seats and state Senate seats that used to be Republican. So DuPage really got hit hard. Um, How much... Was Donald Trump a factor in that blue wave? The the mm-hmm. the the term I won't term was the wrong word, but the the and sometimes outrage that surrounds at least his personality, if not uh, the economic things he's doing. Well, I, Donald Trump was definitely a factor. Uh, there were even Republicans who uh, didn't like didn't want to vote. Uh, for Republican congressmen because they felt like it was a vote against Donald Trump. So you did, he was a headwind. There's, there's no doubt. Uh, however, he was, uh, he was a positive when he went down to Southern and Central Illinois, where they largely liked Donald Trump. And he actually, his, you know, surrounding yourself with Donald Trump down in Southern Illinois helped save some of our congressmen and actually help us win at least one state rep race. So it had varying degrees. In DuPage, it was, you know, Donald Trump was a drag on the ticket. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, but it's, but there's, there was even more going on, and it really became a match with the DCCC coming in to both Randy Hulkren's district and Peter Roskam's district and just overwhelming them with money and manpower to get out their vote. So their, their get-out-the-vote operation, their vote-by-mail operation— was very successful, and essentially Republicans failed to turn up the rhetoric and let people understand the policy choices in that election and then motivate people, Republicans and independents, to make a choice on policy and not personality. Um, one of the issues, that, and in fact, I, I was looking at some exit polling that, uh, that CBS did, uh, and it turned out that health care... Mm-hmm. was actually considered the number one issue by the uh, people who were going to the polls. Uh, and even though, and I, I I think most of the Republican campaigns were understandably uh, keyed on the economy. Uh, so, and I think that was a factor in Randy Hulcran's uh, I am race. so glad you brought up that, that issue. So Republicans at the national level failed to manage the messaging on pre-existing conditions, which is the biggest point about the health care debate that you heard. Now, uh, health care also uh, polled very high as a concern. 
uh, because of its cost. Now, that cost, that should have been separated down a little bit because I have a number of staunch conservative um, high wealth individuals that are paying, you know, $30,000 a year and getting basic coverage and then having large deductibles on top of that. So the health care cost isn't just necessarily with those at the lower income levels, because quite frankly, many of them are on Medicaid and or they're getting subsidized plans from Obamacare. The health care cost issue is really for your small business owners who are getting pummeled in the, in the indip- uh, individual market and the, co- the costs are astronomical. And even though they dipped down a little bit this year, not as much as what they were pre-Obamacare. So cost was an issue on both sides, and Republicans didn't answer that message well. The other thing with pre-existing conditions, though, what a farce. The Democrats really pulled one, a, a good messaging campaign over the eyes of everybody else. We've handled pre-existing conditions way before Obamacare came into existence. In fact, Illinois itself, 20 year, 23 years prior to Obamacare existing, handled pre-existing conditions with a high-risk pool. It was there for people that were high-risk, so they weren't being covered because of that pre-existing condition, or they were otherwise uninsurable. We were handling it along with 44 other states. Republicans did not get that message across, that pre-existing conditions were being handled way before Obamacare. Uh, the argument that the, that the Democrats were making, though, was that in that high-risk pool, there were higher premiums, and that that was making the coverage uh, so this unaffordable. Is, yeah, I know, and I, I appreciate the fact that, that that's what you understand. Uh, uh, well, I'm just saying uh, that's uh, the argument that's what, that was made. That's what the argument that was made. But the truth is, is that those, even though they were paying a, more, a little bit of a premium on that high-risk pool, it is that premium was far less than what they're paying today under Obamacare, even subsidized. So the, 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 the Republicans failed to message on this because it's, it's just nonsense that pre-existing conditions were that big of a concern in at least 45 other states. And in fact, their messaging came from the five states that did not have these high-risk pools. This could have been settled out very a lot more simple. But, you know, I, look, they, they won the messaging war. Uh, let me ask you one other thing out of the exit polls that uh, mm-hmm. might have an easy answer, but maybe not. Um, the exit polls showed that the majority of Americans questioned felt that the economy is going very well. No question. Clear majority. A majority also felt the country's going in the wrong direction. In every other poll I have seen in every other election that I've covered, those arrows were always pointing in the same direction whether it was good or bad, if you felt the economy was going well, the country was going well. If you felt the economy is going badly, the country was going badly. What is this saying about what's happening in I think this says a lot about our politics and the tenor of our debates and the public perception about the divisiveness that's happening across the nation. I think that's why people think we're going in the wrong direction because it doesn't feel like it's one united America. At all, it feels like it's uh, small little subsets. Identity politics rules. You're just um, you, you, you're identified by your race, your ethnicity, your your background, your, your sex, whatever. And that doesn't s- seem like the America that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And I went to West Point when women were a little bit of an anomaly, mm-hmm. and I never felt like I was judged based on my sex. I mean, certainly there was sexual harassment or there were things that occurred. I get it. But I never felt like it was something I couldn't overcome. Now you're basically identified as, oh, she's a female politician. 
you know, it, or she's a conservative or she's a label them however you want to or she's white or she's whatever. You, I, I, that's why it feels like we're going in the wrong direction to many because our politics are so divisive. It doesn't seem as if there's either much attention to that issue or much of a desire to change it yet. But isn't that going to have to change? It has to change. And, and um, usually it's big, big, uh, I guess, cataclysmic or, or like earth shattering events that bring Americans together and they, they start to figure it out. Now, I, I mean, I don't know what that event may be that makes us all realize that we got to solve this together. But I think what's one of the things that would happen for Illinois and Illinoisans is the fact that we can't afford the spending that what's going on. Look, the the state, your city's going to go bankrupt or you're going to go bankrupt. It's it's one or the other, given the levels of spending that is happening in this state and the out-migration that continues to occur. So nationwide, I don't know. But if our state can't con- understand that we are spending future dollars now for uh, promises made 30 years ago, and that's immoral, if we can't get arrest our spending, this state will fail. Let's. Let's talk about that in just a second. You are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is uh, outgoing Republican State Representative Jeannie Ives. A Republican did hold on to your seat uh, in the in the legislature. Uh, she challenged outgoing Governor Bruce Rauner for the GOP nomination. A Democrat unseated him. Uh, she is still a strong conservative voice in this state. So what is your prediction for how well the new governor, A, is going to get along with House Speaker Michael Madigan and Senate President John Cullerton and also address the issues that we are talking about, which is the the, the bankruptcy or the near bankruptcy of the state of Illinois? Well, it appears that they're getting along marvelously. I mean, uh, you've now got Mike Madigan agreeing to Governor Pritzker's top two agenda items, which is higher taxes and legalized pot. So um, I, I'm a little bit surprised by that, um, but I guess maybe I shouldn't have been. I thought Madigan was smarter than to go for a tax increase after they, we just had the largest permanent tax increase two years ago, but apparently he's not. Apparently he's more worried about um, pandering to his political donors, the public sector unions, and you know Planned Parenthood than he is about really solving our state's problems because a tax increase is the wrong direction for the state of Illinois. I would wish that uh, the governor-elect Pritzker would show some independence and foresight as to what these problems are, uh, what other problems are going to be exacerbated by a tax increase. Um, and, and certainly the first thing they need to work on to like collectively is to get control of our pension costs and 100% reform them from top down. Uh, if we're talking now, are you talking about uh, an increase in the flat rate income tax or are you talking about the much longer term uh, issue of a, uh, a graduated income tax? Well, they know that they really can't go for a graduated income tax for two years. So it, it, we'll see what they try to do. First of all, they're going to try and do the legalized pot. think they'll get about $500 million. I'm here to tell your listeners right now, $500 million is nothing. We're sitting on $7.5 billion 
yeah, which is 15x the 500 million they think they're going to get in legal pot already in current account uh, bills. Moody's has us at 250 billion dollars in unfunded pension liabilities. That doesn't include the retiree health care insurance that hasn't been funded. That's another um, 56 billion dollars. So we have huge, enormous costs in this state, and legalizing pot is not going to solve anything. Nothing. So. I think their first goal is going to be to do this, and they'll probably do some gambling expansion. Think, but all they're going to do is cannibalize other uh, institutions that are currently have gambling. So that's not going to work for them. Um, they're not going to take care of spending because they, they don't know how to arrest spending. They've they've never done that in their life. Uh, so they're going to probably just pile on debt. That's what they're going to do. They're going to add to the back bills. They're going to pile on some debt. And they may go for some pension obligation bond borrowing, which is absolutely the wrong direction. To, uh, so they're going to play an interest arbitrage game, try and make money on the interest rate spread there. That, that, that's very harmful to taxpayers. So, uh, And then finally, finally, when the pressure gets too immense, they may have to go for a flat tax increase, make it a nice round number, maybe 6%. That's a nice round number. So just going up to five wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't no, do it? Yeah, no. Five, five gets you nothing. Uh, that Going up another, what? Sorry, per, is it a quarter yeah, percent? Yeah. Uh, not even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, quarter percent. But you know, they were just, it's that's not going to be enough. So they'll try that first, and then they'll probably move to graduated. Um, I have uh, often heard, uh, I want to turn more to 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 party politics. Well, first off, I, 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 sure. I should ask you, what is the way to go for dealing with the pension problem? Oh, I mean, there's, what, route, what route would work? Okay, first thing is all new hires need to start in a 401k-style program, and you have to allow that same type of 401k-style program to work also at the local level because you have a $10 billion pension problem that is exploding property taxes in, in states in certain places. So 401k... For all new hires, we already have this working. It's been working for 20 years. It's a great, it provides good retirement security because you cannot borrow against it. It's completely compliant with Social Security. And it gives a better return than Social Security in a 401k traditional that you see in the private sector. It's a very good plan. Then you have to have a constitutional change so that you can change pension benefits on a go-forward basis. And then finally, you have to have a real earnest conversation with public sector union members about that 3% compounded COLA, it needs to go away. Be, otherwise, these pension funds are not going to be able to be uh, to sustain themselves in the future. Even for some people in your party, uh, the idea of going back and changing benefits for people who signed contracts or whose unions signed contracts that promised them this is what sure. you're working for for years, uh, they say a promise is a promise. I, I get it. So these promises, though, in many cases were made um, two, three decades ago by politicians that aren't feeling the heat on how to balance the budget. So, you know, if you want to play that game, great. We'll only pay for pensions. We won't pay for for education. We won't invest in new infrastructure. Um, we'll pay for, to keep the prisons open, we'll pay for pensions. Well, you'll get very few services from the government. That's where we're going uh, with this. So uh, I, don't, I, don't think, I also think it's immoral that they made promises on future taxpayers and some of these promises that they made, literally, they put locked in into being 20, 30, 40 years ago, aren't some in some cases going to be paid off until 2059. That's outrageous. 
it's, it's crazy. I do want to turn to a little bit of party politics, or specifically Republican Party politics. Uh, in the years that I've uh, been covering these kinds of things and going to conventions and the like, I've heard conservative Republicans say, you know, finally, it, it needs to be our turn to take the reins of the party now and because the moderates have not succeeded. Is it really? Well, the only thing we haven't tried in this state as Republicans is truly conservative reform, and it's the only thing that really this, this, the state needs conservative reform. And I don't care if you're one of the more liberal Democrats. The truth is if you don't arrest spending and lower taxes, you're going to just see more people move to Tennessee that has no income tax at all, uh, no estate tax at all, one of the t- lowest 10 property tax burdens in the nation, and you're going to see people move there in droves. Um, and so you can't, you know, you can add an exit tax like Evanston did and tax high wealth people when they want to move out. But, you know, that only works for so long uh, before people are onto your game and they're, they're going to leave. So we have no choice now in the state of Illinois. They've spent all the money for the next few decades to come. So the only thing that will work is fiscal reform on a conservative level. Now, for Republicans, great. I mean, we have a party platform. We, we, we get together every four years. You want to try and change the party platform? Fine. That's our party platform, and we adhere to it. So, um, you know, that's where the fight needs to be. But what is the path to victory for Illinois Republicans in a state that is as blue as this one seems to be? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. So I think we coalesce around the policy choices that everybody's going to be faced and, and it's whether you're independent Democrat or Republican, and, it's, and it deals with the fiscal issues, and it deals with failing schools that aren't educating. Uh, so, I, I think that those are those are where we can win. And I do believe in the end, people understand. Look, it's your pension, your job, or your home. You cannot have all three in this state. And so, we're talking about the issues that matter to everybody, because they're getting punished by high taxes, and they're looking for the exits. So, and and, and that goes with business too. Um, so, you know, I've never been one to have my favorite constituencies, even in the business community. I've been the one who wanted a level playing field for all. I've not bought into special tax credits for special folks, and I can stand on my record in that regard. So if they want a virtue signal about, you know, corporations getting large tax breaks, well, Jeannie Ives didn't vote for that stuff. All the Democrats did. So what does Jeannie Ives do now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I've got, you know, company coming for Thanksgiving. And I guess I'm focused on that right now. I'm a little, sh- I'm in my short term mode. I would like to still actually talk about the policy choices that we have to choose to, mm. for all of us to be able to stay here in this great state of Illinois. And it is a great state. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm kind of asking what forum is there for that after, I mean, yes, we can, we can always call you up and talk to you, but I mean, you, you've said Illinois is, State, Illinois Republicans need new leadership. I mean, would you be thinking about maybe being, you know, I think the state party needs a new, might need a new chairman at well, some point. Well, there's no doubt. I've already called for our, a new new leadership throughout our party. Absolutely. those They did not do run aggressive campaigns. They didn't understand the policy choices, so they, they couldn't even message them. Uh, so, yeah, I've already called for but our party leadership. Would you party, want to leadership. Be party chair? Um. You know, I don't think that that's the the, uh, the best role for me in terms of uh, being a voice for people on reform. 
I think it limits me. So I'm not necessarily looking for that job. But I'd love to help whoever is positioned in that job in the future. Would, would you run for another office? I'm not, I'm not ruling that out at all. Uh, we'll just see uh, what happens in the future. Um, have you, I mean, did you enjoy running for governor and, or, or, or thinking about that office? You know, we were just talking about uh, how much work we did in five short months, and it's an inordinate amount of work. I'd, I'd have to have the support of a lot of people to, to make sure that that happened and we were successful. But, uh, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not ruling that out. I, uh, I enjoy connecting dots for people. I really do enjoy meeting Illinoisans all the time and explaining them to what, about what's going on and, and uh, the legislation. I, I, I like getting into the details of legislation and telling people what's good and bad about it. So um, I'm not opposed to continuing on that path at some point. Okay. That's going to be the final word. I would like to thank Republican legislator and conservative conscience, Jeannie Ives, for spending this half hour with us. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.